Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I spoke with Bruce Lukey, the president and CEO of Central Ohio Affordable Housing nonprofit, Homeport. We discussed low-income housing programs how our population growth has affected the need for affordable housing in Columbus, working with communities on putting in affordable housing, and the contributing factors that hamper Columbus when it comes to affordable housing. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about our local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive Central Ohio. MORPSI's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsy.org. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here virtually with the CEO of Homeport, Bruce Lukey. Bruce, how are you, sir? I'm good, Tim. Thanks. Good. So at a high level, Homeport provides homes for folks with low to moderate income in central Ohio, correct? Yeah, correct. So uh, we're 34 years old. We have 41 communities around central Ohio. Okay. Um, That's about 2,500, 2,600 units. We serve 6,500 people who live with us. Um, And then we have another three to four in the works that'll be coming within the next couple months, if not year or so. So we're growing quickly. And uh, we not only, you know, provide housing and yes, it's affordable housing. Okay. So typically the client that we serve would make from 20 to 35, $40,000 per year. In fact, um, they would be rent restricted uh, based upon the financing that we use. Okay. Um, And I'm sorry, define, define rent restricted. Meaning the rents, the actual level of rents are actually restricted um, by basically the uh, covenants in the uh, loan agreements and the investor agreements that we serve. Okay. So we are meant to serve, you know, that population. Got it. And so is it all apartment communities? Is that how folks should think of it? So we have today, uh, of the 2,600 units or so, all but 500 are multifamily. Okay. There's 500 single family homes, but they um, are lease purchase homes. And again, based upon the financing, which is mostly made up of low income housing tax credits, um, they have to remain as rental properties for 15 years and then they're eligible to buy. Okay. And is there some credit that they're getting for those 15 years ahead of time? It's basically rent to own is, is a simple way of putting it. 
Yeah, the way we treat it would be that uh, we give them, uh, for the number of years that they were there, we give them $1,000 per year in credit. Okay. And then on top of that, typically, you know, at, by year 15, homes usually need a makeover, a little mm -hmm. bit of a makeover, right? So they typically get a new uh, HVAC system, they get a new roof, um, et cetera. So we make it so individuals don't have to put a lot of their own money into the house to, you know, to be able to buy it. Okay. And the organization started in 87. Correct. How do you identify, sorry, I want to be clear here. You guys own the units that you are providing to people. In essence, yes. Um, it would take a whole two hours to explain the low, low income housing tax credit um, okay. program. But, um, but you know, most of our projects are financed through those tax credits. And, it, you know, to boil it all down, um, it is we you know, get the equipment. There's a couple of different kind of tax credits. So I'll talk about the 9% tax credit. Sure. In essence, which is very competitive. It's very competitive, difficult to get. In essence, it puts about 70% of the equity into um, a deal. And then the balance, that 30% is made up of... Um, regular debt, um, in some cases, other forms of what they call soft debt, which is really um, generally federal funds that okay. flow through the city or the county or whatever. So for for the perp, because of those tax credits, those tax credits are awarded to us. And then we turn around and sell them to a syndicator who has investors who buy them, which are who are typically banks and insurance companies. Okay. And so that's and, a, basically a low rate of return, but a pretty uh, solid rate of return, dependable, yeah. if you will. Y yeah, that's right. That's right. And so what happens is, you know, they usually buy them for, you know, at least today, 92-ish, 93 cents on the dollar. That goes into the project as equity. Okay. But the investor literally for the first 15 years takes 99.9% .9 of the ownership of the property. Okay. Although we're the managing number. So we manage the, everything. We manage the properties, but that allows them to take not only the tax credits, but any losses like depreciation and things that it would spin off. So that helps to increase the yield for, for them a little bit. Got it. It's a limited partner model, really. I yeah, mean, if you is. think of it in terms of like how a, a, maybe a startup is financed. It's very definitely a limited partner model. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. And then do you tend to build from the ground up? Are you acquiring properties? Uh, how does that process yeah. work? So we've tend to build from the ground up. Okay. Um, having said that, we are starting now, you know, to look at acquiring properties. The Columbus marketplace, real estate prices have gone up <laughs> quite a bit. Yeah, that's something uh, we're going to talk uh, about. Yeah. I'm curious what your couple, thoughts. Over the last couple of years. And so, um, you know, being able to buy and keep something affordable is becoming more and more of a challenge. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, and we can talk about that, but we, you know, generally speaking, we, uh, we're a developer, so we would, you know, um, we would build from the ground up. Um, and that's what most of our properties are. Okay. And you guys operate right now, according to your website with roughly a, a $4.8 million annual budget. Yeah, again, I don't want to get overly complicated, and it's probably more like a $17 million budget. The The difference is what properties are still being held by investors and what properties are wholly owned by us. So at the end of 15 years with those tax credit properties, for example, 
um, we would typically buy out the limited partner interest. We'd buy it back from the investor. And then we, you know, we would own both the GP and the LP interest. So we'd own the whole thing. Got it. And that's general partner and limited partner, just for folks that don't know. So I'm thinking about you guys in terms of structure, like who are your stakeholders? Your stakeholders are the, I would say the government institutions that are providing the credits and the grants and the loans, the investors who uh, are looking for that promised rate of return on their investment, which tend to be institutions, as you said. And then the third part of it that I think I would hope folks care about the most are the the folks who are benefiting from having affordable housing. Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly right. You hit it right on the head. So if you think about it this way, you know, the two primary strategic priorities of ours are number one, being able to, you know, develop um, and affordable housing and, and to <laughs> attempt to keep up with the market, although that's getting a little bit harder and harder these days. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and then secondly, and we feel very strongly about this and it, and it is a, you know, an equal strategic priority. And that is we have a laser focus on the clients that we serve. Mm-hmm. So if you think about the, you know, the incomes that they have, they're living paycheck to paycheck. Um, they do run to is- into issues, you know, at times they don't necessarily have the same, um, access to resources that you and I would typically have. Mm-hmm. Right. So we spend a lot of time working with them on making sure number one, that the properties are in great shape. They're a great place to live. We'd all, you know, be proud to, to live there. Um, number two, we want to keep them housed, um, which over the last 20 months has been a little bit more interesting than mm-hmm. ever before, but we help them not only through monetary means, but, um, we also provide, uh, financial education services as well as resident services to them. So, um, I'll give you an example that, mm-hmm. you know, that happens and, and, um, an individual needs their car for work. The car breaks down. It's a large expense and they literally make a decision to say, well, do I pay for my car so I can get to work or do I pay the rent? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's a very logical question. All right. They're, you're, they're trying to do the right thing. Right. So, um, though, you know, we would step in and help people that way not only just with money, but then we would also want to want to have them engaged in our financial education classes. So they're better prepared the next time if that happens. Right. Right. And then, you know, the third element of that resident services would be linkages to services. So we're not a social services organization per se, right? We have, there's many great social services organizations um, around the central Ohio area you know, whether it's education or healthcare or you name it, right? Mm-hmm. So we have uh, social workers on our staff who work directly with our individuals, with our clients, our residents, mm-hmm. understand what the issue is, get them to the play, the best place for them, mm-hmm. and then follow back around with them to make sure they're being taken care of. Okay. So let's walk through a, a, a resident's experience they aren't making enough money to be able to afford an apartment in Columbus. Mm-hmm. They would they need to qualify in order to rent from you guys? They wouldn't need to they wouldn't need to income qualify. Okay. Um and that's on the bottom end and the top end. So they do need to have an income to qualify. Mm-hmm. But then um they also, you know, would not uh, you know, they can't make generally speaking more than 60% of the area median income. Okay. 
right? And and that's a number that's based upon the size of your family, um, et cetera. So, um, but then, so they would qualify that way to get in for the first time. Once they're in, they don't have to qualify in that way, okay. you know, every year, right? So we don't want they, to talk people out. Right. They start making $10,000 more. You're not going to say, okay, it's time to go now. We, this isn't for you anymore. No, we wouldn't, we wouldn't do that. I, and, but, you know, again, we would hope and work with our, you know, residents to see what other opportunities, you know, they might have, we might link them to job training programs or, you know, things like that. So they might move up and out. But uh, the interesting thing about, you know, our residents is the average tenure in our apartments is six to six and a half years. Okay. Um, if you compare that to a market rate apartment, uh, market rate apartment tenure is about a year and a half. Mm-hmm. So that tells you a little bit about on one end, it's great. We, we keep them stable, right? It's what they can afford. So it's a good thing, right? Having, you know, that kind of tenure. Having said that, though, I would also tell you, sometimes I don't know if that's, if, if it is good, because are there enough programs to help them get up and out, right? right. Um, and are they taking advantage of the ability to do that? Or do they have the opportunity to take advantage of other programs to do that? Yeah. So are you, and this is something that I am not super familiar with. Obviously, I understand that there's a need for affordable housing, specifically in Columbus. What other organizations, either governmental or non-governmental like yourselves, are doing this work? Sure. Well, so first of all, you know, we're not a we're not a government organization, right? right? We're, we happen to be a 501c3. We're a nonprofit organization. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Columbus is actually kind of a has strong players in in this field, both on the local as well as the national um, level. Okay. We concentrate on central Ohio. So we're probably the largest locally focused uh, organization, but there are great organizations like National Church Residences, which is located here, which is across the country. Um, WOTA development um, is here. Wallach uh, is here. And so there's, you know, a number of good organizations. And as because Central Ohio is seeing such population growth, organizations outside of, of Columbus are coming in to also be, uh, you know, developers here. So uh, there's a lot of activity and I would call it competition, but it's really not. I mean, you know, um, there's more than enough business um, to go around. And in fact, many are our partners like Wallach um, handles property management for you know, a majority of our residences, national church residents who concentrates on the senior population, Mm -hmm. they provide resident services for senior. We have six independent senior affordable housing uh, communities. They do the resident services for us there because that's what they're, they're really good at. So, so we work together with them too. Okay. From an economics, not economy, but economics standpoint, where are the, the, the shortages? Is it, we constantly need more affordable housing. Are there, how are you connecting with uh, folks who can't afford a market rate apartment? What do you struggle with? So you, so you're going to hear two, you're going to hear a couple of different numbers in the, in the field, right? So um, the one that's most quoted is that there's 54,000 households in central Ohio who pay at least 50% or more for their housing. Okay. 50% or more of their income. Correct. Got it. So think about what they can't buy when they're, right. when they're spending, right? So, um, but 
that 54,000 have homes. It's just that they're paying more than they probably can afford right. for that home, right? So that's one population that you think about. And then, um, you know, just in the last census, right? Columbus, Central Ohio grew by 15, over 15%. So we're continually getting more people in the market who need housing and there isn't available housing. So, um, so you really ha- kind of have to look at both. It's serving the clients that are already here, mm-hmm. um, but then serving, you know, the clients that are, uh, who are moving here. And that's been a big issue for central Ohio. And it's not just affordable. It's across the board on market rate housing too. We just don't have enough housing to yeah. keep up with the growth in central house. In let, central Ohio. let me ask you, and I'm sure this is maybe a, a, a KPI, a KPI, key performance indicator that you guys look at, or at least your board wants to know, what's your occupancy rate of your <laughs> units? Uh, um, effectively, it's a hundred percent. I mean, it might, you know, you know, it might be 98% because we might be turning a unit or turning a unit here or there or yeah. whatever, but effectively it's 100%. And we then, have waiting lists. Got it. And that, that was actually going to be my follow-up question is what, how long is the wait for someone who qualifies and i assume it's a it's a binary state right like they either qualify or they don't it's not a this person is in more need than another correct yeah yeah that's that's generally true it depends on the um it could depend upon the the community that they're moving into okay um or the um when we um structure these tax credit deals Mm -hmm. Um, typically a percentage of the, um, rents they're they're at varying percentages. So we might have X number at 60%, you know, Y number at 50%, Z number at 30%. Okay. So it depends what we need to fill and what's available. And, and so it could be that someone earning 60% of the area median income wouldn't necessarily be able to get an apartment because we have to fill that 30% unit. Gotcha. And that's a guarantee that you're making when you're structuring the deal up front, right? Yeah, it's a deed restriction. I mean, it's a part of the financing. Got it. That's a, And so you're limited by that. It's not that you're a Correct. bad guy. Uh, it's <laughs> literally right. like, this is what this was built for. That That's exactly right. Yeah. Gotcha. And so could you say, like on average then, how long someone may have to wait upon qualifying, upon applying, how long they may have to wait to get an affordable housing unit? I probably don't have an exact number for you, but okay. with some people, it's six months to a year and, and maybe even more. I mean, I, over the last 20 months, I mean, we virtually had nobody move out. Right. Right. And so it's been really difficult, um, you know, through the pandemic. Okay. Can you talk about some of the challenges that you guys faced during that? Sure. So with the pandemic, you know, with the focus we have on our residents, uh, many of them had jobs um, that were, uh, you know, very vulnerable to, um, either losing that either lost their job or in the harder ones, uh, in many cases, um, individuals were hourly workers and their hours were significantly cut back. So think about that for a second, right? If your hours get cut back to 30 or 20% of what they were, well, you still have to support, you know, a family or, and, you know, and all the things you have, um, but you can't file for unemployment. <laughs> so, right. Right. So typically in a pre pandemic, we usually helped a, on average about 60 households per year, um, avoid emergency eviction, you know, for, you know, reason. 
Um, that in 2020 was about 280. Uh, and this year it'll be more than that. So last year we paid out about $475,000 in rental assistance. Okay. Um, to help people stay in their homes. This year, that number is going to look more like $600,000 uh, to help people, people stay in their homes, right? Um, and those are dollars that have come either from two sources. Uh, they've either come through uh, the federal government, you mm -hmm. know, the subsidy monies, um, and that's where most of the dollars have come through. And we, we've partnered with uh, Impact Community Action. Um, they are providing those dollars, or they're the... Um, you know, the provider of those dollars mm -hmm. um, in working with the government or um, immediately once the pandemic started, we actually set aside, you know, a hundred thousand dollars of our own money and then had it matched by a number of organizations like the Columbus foundation and a couple banks and um, United way, et cetera. And so we have our own fund too. If they don't quite qualify for, you know, this, you know, the uh, subsidy money, then they probably qualify for the dollars that we have set aside because we want to keep them housed. We have a focus on keeping them housed and stable. Right. And I just want to make sure that I'm clear here. They're paying their rent to you as well, right? That's right. So That's basically right. you're, you're correcting the books for them. Yeah. But it's keeping them out of eviction court and, you know, and all that, all the things that go along with that, right. We're keeping them stable. Absolutely. It feels very similar to the payroll protection program that happened at, towards the beginning of the pandemic, where you're basically allowing things to remain the same because the situation is very, very different than it was before. Correct. Gotcha. There's a lot of conversation that happens around affordable housing and specifically NIMBYism, not in my backyard. Um, how do you guys identify where you should put affordable housing units? And how do you address the surrounding communities uh, if there's pushback towards from that? Sure. All right. So that's two different questions. Okay. <laughs> so, and and actually, you're you know the first about how do we identify? Yeah. Um, is actually um, kind of interesting too. So you know, I, in the ideal world, just like any developer, you would go to where the most need um, would be, right? Um, the thing though, that we have to factor on top of that is remember I said, um, that we finance with low income housing tax credits. Mm -hmm. So, um, the, you know, the 9% tax credits, which provide the 70% of the, right. They are very competitive and, um, they're, um, they're awarded by the Ohio housing finance agency. Okay. And they have, um, a plan it's called a QAP or a qualified allocation plan it's almost like scoring points like you gotta you gotta meet you have to meet certain um things to be able to qualify a property uh, could be near transportation or there's just all kinds of different you know different type items okay in many cases what that does is now that kind of changes where we need to go to where we can score the best. Yeah. Uh, um, right. And because um, last year, just to give you an example, you know, probably through throughout the state, there were probably at least 90 applications that went in for, you know, credits. Mm -hmm. 
I would bet 35 were um, awarded. Okay. So it's very competitive. And it's a fixed yeah. amount of money every year, it's, right? Uh, it is not always a fixed amount of money. I mean, once the credits are awarded, right. it, it is, but not all credits are the same. It okay. depends on, on the size of the project, et cetera. They are capped though. You know, that's something that you, we just, it's a way of life with, if you're going to finance with cash credits, because you, you have to find a place where, you know, where we're going to qualify, where there's, where there's, um, and central Ohio, because it's growing so quickly, doesn't necessarily qualify as well as like Cincinnati or Cleveland, particularly Cleveland for a couple different things that, you know, some of it has to do with the percentage of need. Um, some of it has to do with the transit scores. So how, you know, how close are you to transit, et cetera. Well, if you compare a more uh, mature city like Cleveland, mm -hmm. um, they have m more areas that would, you know, be able to uh, garner points than a growing city like Columbus. So for example, we had an application in to build in the city of Delaware, you know, the last tax, tax credit cycle, it just didn't score well because there's no transportation, you know, up there, et cetera, a number of different factors. So those are things we have to always, um, you know, keep in mind. Um, and, and it becomes a part of what we do. Okay. What's interesting here is you're talking about the various contributing factors for a limit in the amount of affordable housing we have. That's right. Got it. And then to address the other question, how do you approach the surrounding communities or do you? We do. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, the, over the past um, couple of years, so we've completed a project in Grove City, we've completed a project in Reynoldsburg, mm -hmm. um, you know, so we work with within the city and we work, you know, um, at the suburb in the suburbs. So this gets to your second question about, uh, you know, community support, et cetera, right? Yeah. Every time any developer, it doesn't ma matter if it's a market rate development or an affordable development, right? It, it still has to go through a process, um, a zoning process. If it needs to be rezoned, it still has to go through an approval process in, um, in that community. And so, um, you know, maybe what makes affordable a little bit harder than some others, right, is you do, we do get NIMBYism. And, um, we work very closely with those neighborhoods. We want to be a good neighbor. And so we, you know, we don't tend to force anything at anybody. We get to know the neighborhoods. We get, if it's in the city of Columbus, you know, we, we know the, you know, we know the neighborhood commissions. We know the people who, you know, will make a difference in those areas. And we spend a lot of time with them. Does it always work? No, it doesn't always work. But, you know, that's the approach, you know, that we've opted to take. And that is we're going to be we have, we have to be a good neighbor. And so, you know, we've had many examples where, you know, we might have changed some things slightly because, you know, it's a it turned out to be, uh, you know, something that the community brought up. It was a win win. And, uh, and we, and we changed a couple of things. Uh, there's a lot of discussion that goes on, um, prior to taking it, you know, to any kind of, um, municipal, you know, bodies to, you know, to, to get approved. To get that support. Absolutely. Right. And Bruce, what is your background? What brings you to this role? Yeah. So I was, uh, for the most part, I was a banker for most of my career. Okay. I was on the home port board. Um, I had actually retired. <laughs> so... 
Um, I had retired. I've been retired for about a year and then we needed to replace our uh, CEO. I think it goes something like this. One of the board members, we had a small group of board members sitting around talking about what we were going to do. And, and one of them looked at me and said, well, you're not doing anything right now. So um, how about filling in on an interim basis? Mm-hmm. So I did. I filled in on interim basis. Somehow interim turned into permanent. Now I've been here, you know, uh, it'll be six years. I'm actually retiring at the end of the year. So, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. But um, so, yeah, so interim turned into six years, but it's been wonderful. It's been uh, just a blessing to be able to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I tend to end interviews with two really basic questions. What is Columbus doing well and what is Columbus doing not so well? So I want to posit that to you. You can obviously include all of central Ohio from your perspective, and this could be specifically related to Homeport or not. Uh, what is Columbus, excuse me, what is central Ohio doing well? Yeah. So, um, you know, about six years or six, seven years ago, we uh, came together with a number of our peers to create the affordable housing Alliance of central Ohio um, here in this market. Mm-hmm. And it has paid um, a lot of dividends. I was skeptical at first having okay. organizations, you know, I mean, you know, you can do a little of this, right? Well, you're giving up but power, we, right? Like we, we are, but um, you know, we've been very good at, at um, really concentrating on the top two or three things that are going to help everyone. Right. And, um, and it's not only been financially, but it's also been um, very helpful from an advocacy perspective. And so I've seen, you know, just the whole affordable housing concept and ideas has grown so much in central Ohio over the past five to six years where the community really embraces that mm-hmm. the business community has embraced it. And when I hear uh, peers in, around the state from other cities, I don't think there's any place like central Ohio that has truly embraced affordable housing as a need. Now, whether we're all there yet is a different issue, but people see it. And I, and I, and I think there is a couple things that drives that. Look, affordable housing is always going to be a social issue. It, it always has. It always will. Right. I mean, stability is, is just critical. Um, but I think what um, the central Ohio community, and this is not just the public sector, but this is the private sector uh, here, is what, you know, what they've also truly realized is this is an economic development issue. Mm-hmm. If, you know, if we don't have housing, we're not going to be able to continue to attract business. We're not going to be, ha- be able to have, you know, strong, a strong business community here, a strong neighborhood community here. Um, you know, the whole point about being a prosperous community isn't going to happen <laughs> unless we have housing for people to live. Right. So they've embraced that. And so I think that's been the difference. I mean, it's been the combination of the two. And so I see Central High, Ohio is uh, out ahead. And, you know, a couple of things have happened just to demonstrate that point. You know, you know, Columbus passed a hundred million dollar affordable, you know, bond fund a couple of years ago, right, mm-hmm. to allocate dollars. Um, there were a number of organizations working together with uh, the Alliance who put together a, a 100 million dollar housing action fund to be able to fund uh, what we do here. So um there's more and more happening there that I, and I think the awareness level is very high in central Ohio. Mm-hmm. And, you're, uh, and it's a matter of collaboration too, that it, like, it, that's it what's, that's what's causing that awareness and, Correct. and moving the ball forward. Yeah. I mean, the, the Alliance is interesting because if you think about the continuum of housing, right. So we concentrate in the permanent space, but 
one of our peers in, in the Alliance is the shelter board. Hmm. Right. Um, and Habitat for Humanity is in there and um, and permanent supportive housing organizations are in there. And so, you know, it, it kind of goes across the, you know, that whole spectrum of housing and the need for housing because there isn't just one need. I think the second thing real quickly that um, we've really tried to work on that I think the, the community is really starting to understand is there is absolutely no silver bullet here. There's no hmm. silver bullet, right? Mm-hmm. So we actually built a three-part platform, uh, the Alliance did, um, and have been working you know, working the platform. But number one, we do need more housing, right? We do need to invest in more housing. And so you know, we need the dollars to be able to do that, number one. Number two, though, we need to keep the housing that we already have affordable. Hmm. So, and that comes in two different forms. That comes either in the form of, you know, making sure neighborhoods stay stable and putting dollars back into neighborhoods to help, you know, keep them that way. Or there are more and more apartments now because of the market um, and and what's happened in the market that um, are increased in value. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult for an organization like us to go buy at market value, but keep rents affordable. Right. So, so that's another area that we're really, really concentrating on. And then I would say the third element is something that's based on housing, but it's not really housing. It's, it's really based on helping people increase their incomes so they can afford more. And so we just kicked off, a, I think just a really neat program called resiliency bridge. Okay. And what resiliency bridge does is uh, provide people who have the motivation to increase their um, earning power um, and their, you know, their skills or their education, right? It surrounds them with housing support, with food support, um, with a case manager. And the whole point is to get them from where they are at today to at least about a $20 per hour job. Okay. Because they have to do that to get through the, you know, the benefit cliff, right? Right. Um, and if they can get to that point, they can come out of affordable housing and they're, and it's a benefit to them, right? I mean, they're building their skills because the when we talk to our um, residents, one of the problems that you know they have is when you ask them, you know, would you like to be able to do this? They're like, sure, but I can't afford to take a day off, a week off, a month off to be able to go back to school or to right. go to training or whatever, right? So this resiliency program actually supports them for that period of time so it takes the risk away from them so it does allow them um, to get to that point so it's just getting off the ground now and it's based upon a a program that we've been uh, piloting at columbus state called success bridge okay which has helped students stay in school with these kind of um with these kind of programs so that's great so i think that's a lot of benefit stuff you know i mean as far as where we still need to go Columbus is re-looking at their zoning code. Um, they're looking at tax incentives. You know, a number of the municipalities are doing the same thing. Those things need to happen. The mm-hmm. regulatory environment to get things done um, is just difficult um, right now. And so they, they need to get done. Okay. And that's your answer to what what is Columbus doing not so well. It's this opportunity to fix these the, the regulatory yeah. environment, basically. Yeah, and I wouldn't say it's not so well, but it's not done yet. Right. <laughs> so well, it's hard so, to do things. We got you know we've got a city charter. We've got all kinds of things that that you know we could we should dust off and look at. Right. 
That's exactly right. But that, that's in process. So relook at the zoning code is in process right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there anything else, Bruce, that you wanted to cover today? No, you know, I just, um, I, I just can't reinforce again the the need, you know, particularly in a growth community like Central Ohio. I, you know, on one end, isn't it wonderful to live in a community that's growing and thriving? Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes that also brings, you know, um, you know the the dark side of 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 you know growing um, with it, and we just have to make sure we acknowledge that. And, uh, you know, and again, the last thing I would say is, like I said before, there's no silver bullets here or there's no one organization or project that can do it alone. And so we have to band together. We have to work together across the business community, the public sector and across, you know, the housing markets, et cetera, to be able to do this. Absolutely. Bruce, thank you so much for your time. Sure, Tim. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite housing advocate. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. <laughs>